Well, good afternoon, everyone. I am Tim Shorey, one of the pastors of Risen Hope Church, and it's good to be back together, so to speak, in this time for worship and the hearing of God's Word. Uh, for those of you who are curious about building conditions this afternoon, it is cooler in here than it was last week. Uh, last week was very warm, so I came prepared this week. I'm not sure you can see it on the camera, but I'm wearing shorts. And for those of you who are not part of Risen Hope, that may come as a stunner to you that somebody would preach in shorts. Well, it's not unusual in our church. And to be quite honest, if you are offended, I'd really like to know what you're wearing right now. I suspect uh, it is not your Sunday finest. The reality is that uh, it doesn't much matter what we're wearing. What matters is that we enter into the presence of God. What matters is that we hear from Him and hear from His Word. So I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 as we move into a new chapter in our study through the Gospel of Matthew. We come to chapter 24. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. Matthew 24, verses 1 through 14. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to him, came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Let's pray together. Lord, God in heaven, this is your word. These are 
predictions, prophecies made by your Son while He was here on earth. Father, we need to hear these words. We need to believe these words. We need to live in the light of these words if, in fact, we would glorify you while we are here on earth. So, please teach us by your Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, those of you who are big picture folks will have noticed that we've started into a section of Matthew that forms Jesus' last recorded sermon while on earth. And fittingly, it is about things that would happen after he went back to heaven. And between then and now and the end of time. Now, I know that there are those who love texts like this and immediately begin to wonder, okay, how's it all going to play out? What's the sequence? What's the, what are the carefully articulated scheme of events in their order, in their time, and all the rest? I need to say to you right up front, as I begin, that while I have spent many, many, many hours studying the Scriptures and what they say about end-time events, I have not settled on a comprehensive and fully developed understanding of these things. For the record, I know some things that God has told us with certainty. He has told us that Jesus is coming back literally and physically and with great power and great glory. God has told us that there will be a dissolution, a destruction of our current world in its groaning form and a recreating of a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. God has told us that there will be a judgment day leading to some entering everlasting life and others unending judgment. God has told us that we do not need to avenge ourselves or bring about final closure to all sin and injustice and offenses in this life because, as the Lord says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God has told us that all wrongs will be made right and that all rights will be rewarded. God has told us that people from every nation, from every nation, are going to come to personal saving and singing faith in Jesus Christ. God has told us that massive revivals are going to happen among the Jewish people so that a great multitude of those who are the physical children of Abraham will become his spiritual children as well. God has told us all these things, and as hard as it may be to hear, God has also told us, as we're going to see this afternoon, that things are going to get worse even as they get better. What we cannot do for you in these next few messages is give you an exact sequence and system with charts. But I do believe that God is going to lead us into some truth and understanding 
that will help us to live out our lives for His pleasure and for His glory. So with those things said by way of introduction, let's look at the text. In in verses 1 through 3, keep your Bible open. In verses 1 through 3 of Matthew 24, Jesus leaves the temple in which He has really just held court. If you'll remember in chapter 23, He really is functioning as the judge of the Pharisees, and and he has turned the temple, the house of worship, into something of a judgment hall in which he pronounces doom on the Pharisees for their brazen hypocrisy. All the masks that they wore to look good on the outside while being full of sin and corruption on the inside. And as Jesus and his disciples leave the temple, it would appear that the disciples turned around and looked back at the temple, ironically with a hint of the same error as the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23. The disciples turned around and looked back with a fascination and an obsession with externals, with buildings. In Luke's gospel, we read that they said, when they pointed at the buildings of the temple, they said, Luke tells us, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. The disciples were impressed with the grand architecture of the temple, a fascination which people have to this very day. But Jesus puts this perspective in its place. We, we humans are so visual, aren't we? We're almost incurably attached to things that we can see. We are easily impressed with majestic buildings and art and all the rest. But Jesus wants us to hear here that the person who sees the best is the person who sees the invisible and the inside of things. And so Jesus responds to them in a way that says, in essence, you don't get it, do you? Let go of the externals. Just like human hearts that I talked about in chapter 23 are white painted graves looking nice on the outside but being filthy within. So buildings that may look grand and wonderful and glorious on the outside, but on the inside offer nothing but false faith and hypocrisy. Those buildings are worthless. Don't be impressed, Jesus is saying. Buildings are not sacred because they are grand. In fact, Jesus says, do you see all of these grand and wonderful stones and buildings? Give it a little bit of time, and they're going to be destroyed. All of this stuff that impresses you so much is meaningless and fragile and temporary. Soon it will be no more. And the reality is, parenthetically, that in 70 A.D., just a few years after this, The whole city of Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was razed to the ground. 
Then Jesus, having rebuked their fascination with externals, turns and leads them outside the city to the Mount of Olives that's situated outside the wall on the eastern end of the city. And having arrived there, he sat down, at which point his followers approached him with a question. We see it in verse 3. As he sat, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? That is, when will the destruction of the temple happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And it is in response to those questions that Jesus delivers what we historically as Christians, many of us have called the Olivet Discourse, the, the final of five major sermons in Matthew's Gospel. And in this discourse, Jesus predicts and he describes events and developments that started to happen as soon as Jesus returned to heaven and continue to happen today, we believe with escalating intensity as the end draws near. So what did Jesus tell them to expect and how does that expectation affect us today? Well, he told them, first of all, about what was really only the beginning of the end, the beginning of birth pains leading to the end of all things. Notice it in verses 4 through 8. Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famine and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, in this, in this set of predictions, Jesus tells us that three categories of events are going are, are to happen. First of all, there's going to be a, a proliferation of false messiahs. There's going to be more and more people who come into the world claiming to be the Christ, claiming to be the Savior, claiming to be the Deliverer, the Great Deliverer. See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And already by the time John wrote 1 John he could say that many antichrists had already come. The, the fact of the matter is, many pretenders, many pretenders, who want to draw people after them, many pretenders, religious gurus and charlatans and political saviors and cultic leaders, many pretenders have said, I'm, I'm the one, I'm the Christ ever since Jesus uttered these words, let there be none but the real Christ who holds our faith and our allegiance. Jesus goes on to say, not only will there be a proliferation of false messiahs, there will also be an intensification of political violence. Verses 6 and 7, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Let us, let us not be surprised 
by the fact that the world is a violent place. It has always been a violent place. An increasing political incivility and hostility that leads to a war of words and a war with guns is not new and it will not ever go away before the return of Christ. Despite all of our knowledge, despite all of our advances in technology and science and all the rest, the world is still a very violent place. It always has been. And it always will be until that day when Jesus returns and establishes peace on earth. There will be a proliferation of false messiahs, an intensification of political and global violence, and there will also be a continuation of natural disasters. Look at verse 7. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places and in other parts of Scripture, there is a, added to this, uh, these couple of famines and earthquakes, other natural disasters. In Revelation 6, we read that there will be pestilence and plagues. Read that, pandemics and worldwide diseases. Friends, the coronavirus is but one example of the kind of thing that God predicts. And it will happen again and again again as time moves on. Now what is important to see is that according to Jesus, these things are not signs of the end, but the beginning of the end, the early labor pains as we await that final day when all things are made new. The end is not yet, he says in verse Six, He says, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains in verse 8. Jesus is very clear here to make sure we don't interpret the proliferation of false messiahs, the intensification of political upheaval, the continuation of natural disasters as a sign that the end is, is, is almost here. In fact, he says the opposite. These things are but the beginning of the end. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, take these things in stride. Don't let them scare you or disturb your focus or get in the way of who you are supposed to be and how you are supposed to live. Realize that these are the normal conditions into which I am calling you to live out your faith. These are the normal circumstances of a sin-cursed world. Don't, don't think that I or my Father am surprised by these things. Don't be panicked by them. Don't be distracted by them. Don't be unnerved by them. Don't think that God's plan has somehow been sidetracked by them. Don't think that they mean that Satan and evil have gotten the upper hand or that the forces of evil are now somehow or other ruling and reigning. No, these are the, the normal circumstances of a sin-cursed world. Paul speaks of, I believe, the same dynamics in Romans 8, verses 18 through 23, where he writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation, 
waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will one day be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Paul is saying that creation and we who are believers, we, we groan for a better day. We groan for a day where there are no more thorns and thistles and storms and viruses and pandemics and earthquakes and tsunamis. Every one of these are birth pains. Every one of these are just the, the creation in groaning. And we are waiting, aren't we? We are, we are waiting. We are waiting with tears. We are waiting with longing for the end to come and the glory to be revealed, the glory of our redemption as sons and daughters of God and the glory of the redemption of all of creation. All of creation. So there will be no more earthquakes and no more famines and no more pandemics. But Jesus is saying, in the meantime, the labor pains continue and we groan. And at this point, Jesus turns to what we as his disciples should expect by way of suffering as time goes on. And I think I, I, I should begin by mentioning what we might call the principle of escalation. An escalating of evil is implied in the text here as well as elsewhere. In verse 11, we read that many will be led astray. In verse 12, we read that lawlessness will be increased. And because of that, the love of many will grow cold. In verse 21, we see that there will be a time of unprecedented tribulation, such as the world has never seen before. Dear ones, God has nowhere told us that we would escape tribulation. In fact, He has promised over and over again, that we would face much tribulation in this life. In John 16, Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation. In Acts 14 and verse 22, it is through many afflictions that we must enter the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 3, all, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution as men go from bad to worse. Philippians 2, we have been called not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for His sake. I could take the next half an hour citing one text after another in which God in the Scriptures tells us to expect great 
tribulation, and suffering in our lives. The text is full of the language of escalation, escalating tribulation, escalating false teachers, trouble, departures from the faith, spiritual quitters. Jesus says, be prepared for this. It will be escalating opposition. Notice verses 9 and 10. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Jesus says you need to expect this. There will be tribulation at the hands of others. There will be betrayal by people that you once trusted in and loved. You will be hated by all the nations. Notice it. It, is, it will be for my name's sake. As we faithfully proclaim the name of Christ and the will of Christ and the glory of of Christ and the law of Christ, the world will hate us. Let me, let me ask you the question even now. How do you think the world feels about Jesus? How, do, how does the world feel about God? If you were to talk with your neighbor, if you were to talk to teacher at school, a professor at college, if you were to talk to a fellow worker and just start talking about God, how long do you think they would listen? At what point would they get enraged? If you talk about the love of God, the kindness of God, the mercy of God, the gentleness of God, the empathy of God, the sympathy of God, they might give you an ear for a while. But as soon as you mention the moral law of God, as soon as you mention the holiness and the justice of God, the wrath of God, anything that God has to say about how they are to live their lives, and their eyes will flare and their countenance will change. Persecution will happen for His name's sake. If you say to people what Jesus said, if you say Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, proclaim the name of Christ as the only way to God, and you will be hated. If you, if you say what Peter said in Acts chapter 4, there is salvation in no one else, in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you proclaim Jesus as Lord and the exclusive Savior of all who will believe, if you proclaim it no matter how lovingly, no matter how humbly, no matter how graciously, no matter how Put in the context of neighbor love, they will hate you. 
This is Jesus' word to us. There will be escalating opposition and hatred as God's people are faithful in this world. There will be escalating apostasy. Many, he says in verses 11 and 12, will be led astray. And because of lawlessness, that it will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. There will be many who profess to believe in Jesus, including many leaders and so-called Christian leaders and pastors and the rest that will be misled by error. They'll be led astray and they'll be enticed by lawlessness. There's something about lawlessness that entices and fools and leads people astray and cools down and diminishes their love. The love of many will grow cold. There will be escalating opposition and there will be escalating apostasy. People abandoning the faith, departing from their profession of allegiance to Jesus Christ. But it's not all bad. Notice what we read in verse 14. There will be escalating, if you will, gospel triumph. In verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will Come. And based on Revelation 5 and Revelation 7, we know that Jesus meant here when he says all nations, he meant all nations. He meant all languages. He meant all tribes and, and people groups on the face of the earth. The gospel is going to triumph even as opposition to the gospel escalates because it is an unstoppable gospel of an unstoppable king, the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel will prevail even as opposition increases. And then, verse 14, then the end will come. I have no idea when King Jesus is going to finish that gospel work, that global gospel work. I know that he could do it within a day if he so chose, through powerful manifestations of his presence around the world. I don't know when it's going to be, but these things I know. Troublesome days are coming. Tribulation is sure. Opposition will be great, but the gospel will prevail. So, what are we to do in the face of all of this? Surely not despair. Surely not give up, surely not live in fear. No, we just need to endure. Notice what Jesus says in verse 13 in the middle of all this, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew 24 is essentially a call to endurance. It's Jesus giving us a realistic view of what's to come and then saying to us, endure. Keep on keeping on. 
Now you'll ask the question, how can I endure? How can we endure in the face of all of this? I think there are a few answers right in the text. First of all, how do you endure to the end? Well, know that there is an end. The end is coming. The end will come. Let us be sure of this and let us live in the light of this. I can assure you one way or another, the end is coming for you as it is for me. The psalmist says, Lord, make me to know my end. What is the measure of my days? The end is coming either through death or the return of Christ. The end is coming and the end is near for us all. And that helps us to endure for, first of all, it reminds us that there is an end. We don't have to endure forever. And that end is near. Behold, I am coming soon, Jesus says elsewhere. Know that there is an end. Number two, adjust your expectations. Adjust your expectations. One of our great concerns as your pastors is that there are certain teachings that have become popular that we believe create a false and unrealistic set of expectations in believers. And if those expectations are not adjusted, and if they are eventually not met, it will lead to doubt and even departure from the faith in many. When, when teachers, for example, tell us to expect wealth and health and that things are going to improve and get better, but then they don't. There is the potential for deep disappointment with God, and that disappointment can be bitter and lead to departing. I wonder, and I don't mean this to be judgmental toward those teaching certain things, but just pastorally, I, I wonder about all those Christians who have been taught one way or another that they are meant to be healthy and wealthy and things are going to get smooth and better. I wonder how they're doing in this current crisis when they are perhaps neither healthy nor wealthy and maybe have become the opposite. What happens to their faith? What happens when other teachers tell us that we as Christians are just going to be taken up before any of this stuff happens and no hard stuff is going to come our way. Do not be deceived. Escalation will happen. Freedom will not last. Persecution will increase. Faithfulness will come at a serious price. And I realize that in our generation, many have professed faith in Christ who have not maybe fully counted the cost of what it means to follow Christ. King Jesus is saying there, there is a cost. Be ready. Adjust your expectations. Know the trials are coming. But know this. Not only is tribulation going to increase, triumph is going to increase. Know that the gospel will reach all the world. 
know that we win. Jesus wins. King Jesus wins. Third, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. In verse 6, Jesus reminds us not to be alarmed. You see, the point of these warnings is not to alarm us, but to forewarn us and prepare us. God's got this. And when these predictions are fulfilled, remember that Jesus told us about them before they happened. In fact, like I said earlier, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD, we believe was certainly one fulfillment of these predictions. And we therefore, seeing that the eternal Son of God predicted these things even before they happened, should be a, that should be a faith builder for us. We know that the one who can predict the future must govern the future. He must reign supreme. So do not be alarmed, but do not be led astray. There will always be those who offer an easier or better option than following Christ. Do not be led astray. Always remember what matters most of, most of all. You and I are made by God and made in His image. You and I rebelled against God and came under His wrath and judgment and deserve that wrath and judgment. But you and I have been redeemed with precious blood, the blood of Jesus. You and I have a risen and reigning King. We belong to God through His electing, regenerating uh, grace, His repentance giving, His faith giving work. You and I are His by way of creation, redemption, and adoption. We are called to live for Him. We are called to live with Him. We are called to delight in Him. Do not be led astray. As other teachings and teachers come your way, hold fast to Christ and stay on mission. No matter what the tribulations are in your life, Stay on mission. Know that the gospel is going to be preached and Jesus wants us to proclaim his name. Now, if we're going to endure to the end, we're going to need to do all those things. But most of all, we're going to need to trust in the God who endures with us. How am I going to endure to the end? Well, I'm going to be able to endure to the end, and so are you, Christian brother and sister, because God is going to endure with you, and He is going to hold you fast. Let us never forget that the Gospel of Matthew that includes all kinds of these predictions, the Gospel of Matthew begins and it ends with a declaration of the faithfulness and the presence of God. In chapter 1, Jesus, it is said of him, his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the very last verse of Matthew in chapter 28, Jesus says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus, yes, he predicts hard times, but he says, I'm going to be with you. 
and I'm going to hold you fast, and I'm going to secure you in my love, and nothing, nothing will be able to separate you from my love. Nothing, even when they kill you, they will not harm you. Because nothing can harm us. Nothing can separate us from the Father's love. Not even death, Paul says in Romans 8. We are held fast by the love of God in Christ. So do not fear. Do not tremble. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. And do not be thinking about how can I endure to the end way out there somewhere. Just think about how can you endure to the end today and realize God is with you today. Jesus is with you today and he will never leave you nor forsake you today or tomorrow or next week or however long this world lasts. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So even as tribulation increases, triumph increases because we are in Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, King Jesus, we plead your promises that you will be with us to the end of the age. And knowing that you will be with us to the end of the age, Lord Jesus, we take up our cross and we follow you. Lead on, King Jesus. Wherever you will, lead on and we will follow. Because you will not leave us or forsake us. Hold us fast, we pray. Amen.